0: Today is Wednesday, August 11th, 2021, and Dr. Rick and I are coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama, and today we are joined by not just a precious team member and someone, a co-worker and a co-laborer of Christ, but truly a dear friend, both of my family and I know of Dr. Rick with Ann Mara Hinton, and it was almost exactly three years to the day that my family and I were in Columbia We were spending about six weeks in Colombia, traveling around the country, training foster families, uh, equipping the local church to care for kids in Colombia. And my entire family of five had loaded into one of the smallest Uber cars, I think, in the city of Bogota. And so the three kids and I were crammed into the back seat. And the next thing I know, my wife is on the phone with our dear family friend, Ann Mara Hinton, talking about the idea of bringing her education and her background to bear in a space to help adopted foster children, as well as to help families who were having the need for education intervention with their kids, especially those kids that come from hard places, adoption and trauma. Well, Ann Mara has has been such a help both to Ashley and I and our children in our education endeavor with them. Uh, We chose to homeschool our kids many years ago, and she has been just a breath of fresh air and an answer of the Lord just to come in and help. Uh, This is a woman who fearfully loves the Lord. She and Robbie have dedicated their lives to making God known and the gospel known in so many different ways. She lives in Cary, North Carolina. There's so many things I could say about Ann Mara. There's so many things I could tell you about how certified she is, but let's just say she is educationally trained. Uh, she loves the Lord. Her, she is emotionally uh, attached. I've seen her and heard of her in hard situations with hard kids. And the Lord continues to, through his Holy Spirit, keep her humble, to keep her kind, loving, gentle, but also direct and helping families. And so as school is getting started, we know that many kids struggle as they get back in that routine, and we thought, what better way to bring Ann Mara on so that we could help prepare our kids, but also so that we could uh, get the early signs that our kids may need uh, an independent educational plan to to have an excess, have a have their own individualized plan, and also to help you know how Bridge Educational Services can help you and your family. But before we bring Dr. Rick and Ann Mara on, I want to remind you of our recently released pregnancy counseling site. It's specifically designed to reach and meet the needs of women in unplanned pregnancies, their family members, and to meet the needs of pregnancy resource centers that serve them. It's filled with encouragement, information, resources, and direct contact to our professional pregnancy counselors. And so you may be going, what do I need a pregnancy counseling site for in my daily life? Well, we want you to have this website in your back pocket in case there you come in contact with someone in a pregnancy counseling situation. You come in contact with a woman who's pregnant and and it's unplanned or it's a crisis pregnancy and she doesn't know what to do so that you could tell your churches about this resource that you could tell others about this resource and it is planmyadoption.org again that's planmyadoption.org and so you can go there give that website out or see it in our show notes well Dr. Rick like I said there are so many things that we could say about our friend and sister Ann Mara Hinton she is qualified uh, she loves the Lord. She is uh, passionate. She does things so well with what she does. I mean, really, the only thing, and, and, and I mean, tongue-in-cheek in a sense that I can say right now that is a negative towards this sweet sister is that she cheers for the Tennessee Volunteers. Outside of that, and I hate to make everything about football and SEC football, there's really not a lot that you can say except for that major character flaw of cheering for the Tennessee Vols.
1: You know, Herbie, it, it really just goes to prove that everyone has, you know, some sort of a chink in their armor. Right. And, and so that's that's but that's really about the only thing we can really say about Amara that that we you know, that we that we question. Um, it's really, you know, even you bring it up, the fact that we have been at this now for three years with Bridge and, and, and where we are in the ministry of the Lord's put in, in front of us. Um, it's i, I kind of think of it in both ways it's like wow it's been 3 years it doesn't seem like it's been that long but then at the same time you know going like it's only been 3 years like we've seen we've seen god do so much and so i just really thankful for Ann Mara and her friendship and and the way that uh, the lord has just knit her together with our team um, and so Ann Mara, welcome welcome to the defender podcast
2: Wow, you guys are really you know how to make somebody feel good about themselves thank you <laughs>
1: <laughs> well you know th- i mean we we enjoy we enjoy all of our guests and 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 it's fun to get to talk to all the people that we do but there there are certain folks that are just kind of you know the like home the, the home team and and you're yeah. definitely part of the home team so wow,
2: thank you you guys are great thank you so much i love working for lifeline i love the mission i love um the fact that that um when I think about, uh, when I just think about kids being created in God's image and just um, the excitement that I see in, in, in all of the Lifeline and the mission for Lifeline, it, it just, it really is, it really is exciting. So I, I thank you. Thanks. Thanks. and glad to be here.
1: Well, you know, so we, several years ago when we started this, you know, this conversation about, um, really kind of pressing in and helping families as they try to parent well, and as they try to disciple their kids and, and, you know, lead their kids in, in growth in um, in, in their, in their intellect and, and in their, you know, their ability to reason, which we know is key to like, it's part of, that's part of being a disciple that, um, you know, that, that there are a lot of families that find that there's a real connection between uh, trauma and neglect and a lot of the things that we see on a regular basis in the lives of our kids that have come from hard places um, and some cognitive struggles. Um, and, and so, you know, so I think there's, an, there's kind of an admission that we need to make first off to say um, school is hard for everybody. Right. Especially now, you know, in the middle of a pandemic where things are kind of topsy turvy in, in a lot of ways. And so whether that may be those may be social struggles and kids that are struggling with relationships or finding a place to fit in or yeah. academic struggles and, and kids that are, you know, that are having a hard time conquering complex subjects. But but there are some kids that that it's it's not the run of the mill you know, relationship stuff. It's not. It's not the. It's not the challenging academics. But but truly, that there's a deeper learning struggle going on. You know, with mm-hmm. those kids, and and there's something there's something a little more core, kind of happening there. And so, Anmar, first, I'd I'd love for you just to kind of talk a little bit about, um, just how do we how do we even begin to get the clues. Of what's a normal academic challenge, and and what's you know kind of a deeper learning struggle that our kids may have? How do we know even what we're looking at there?
2: Yeah, I know uh, that that is a that's a tough that's a loaded question because every child is different, right? And so, um, and we're all created differently, and so we have to really kind of dig deep and really intuitively like look to see, you know, what's going on, not only just academically, although that's where it comes out first, especially in school, is when, uh, you know, something's just not clicking, or something might just not seem right. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with folks that have said, there's something, I just can't put my finger on it. And so what we want to do is we don't want to dismiss that intuitive thought that you've had about your child or that's happening in school is we want to go ahead and dig like you said a little deeper and figure out well what is that little thing that just doesn't seem right you know uh and it may be um it may come out in a spelling test or it may come out when your child's reading out loud uh to you or um it may come out in ways that they're not able to attend um, for a a long period of time. So there are those, you know, external clues that we see, but it really is that intuitiveness of really just kind of wondering what what is it that I'm missing that just doesn't seem to be clicking? So I would say that would be one one way in which to really, you know, begin to ask that question. I guess it starts with curiosity uh, of, of what it what does it look like? What is typical?
1: look like yeah and And, you know yeah and i'm i'm kind of so and and let's so let's kind of chase that out a little bit and and because (laughs) because we're as parents you know we're we're watching the learning that our kids are doing we you know we we certainly see and sometimes you you do like you really almost have that that sixth sense that there's Mm -hmm. kind of something that just isn't quite right um Schools have processes, right, for figuring all this, all of this out. And, and there are kind of normal, there's sort of a normal course of the way that mm-hmm. that schools do this. Um, so from from the school perspective, because I think sometimes we, we think of this like it's a, um, you know, like it's almost like an unknowable process and like there's something that's really kind of super special that's going on behind the curtain. And that there's, there's capacity at the school that we just really can't even understand. Um, Mm -hmm. So take a little bit of the mystery out of that. Like when, what does the process look like when, when a teacher or, or an aide begins to think that there may be something underlying, what does the school actually do?
2: Sure. And that's, that's a great question. So um, there is a process to it and uh, schools are required to meet particular, that each, uh, each stage of the process. And so it begins with just collecting data. Um, so, you know, if there is, say, a, say a parent has mentioned you, you've talked to the teacher and the teacher, you, you guys agree that maybe um, there's something that is, um, is is not clicking the way that uh, that it's meant to. So you start with just collecting the data. And uh, that may mean, um, you know, uh, in a particular subject, uh, that they're not meeting a, an expectation that's set out before them. So that's the first process, just collecting that data. And then, um, then there's interventions. You know, then a, a teacher or a school will uh, will try a couple different interventions. And if those interventions aren't seeming to help meet that need then they'll go to what's considered like a tier three intervention. And they'll say, hey, maybe we need to do some testing. Maybe we need to see what's, what's happening. If there's something going on that we can't meet uh um with each of these interventions and so they'll they'll uh they'll ask for some testing to be done and uh to 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 uh, figure out whether there is a learning disability and if they if there is a learning disability then are they eligible for an iep or a 504 plan uh to be put in place to help them feel successful in that classroom so there is a process it's usually a three-tiered intervention process which includes collecting a lot of data and, um, and interventions, putting interventions in place to see if those things will meet the need without having the testing being done. Tier three is the testing. And then they'll follow, I'll follow up with that, with a meeting with the with psychologist, with the OTs, with the PTs, with the speech, with the, the parents and either formulate an IEP or uh, a 504 plan.
1: Now here's the thing. If I'm a parent and, and I'm trying to figure out how to negotiate this system, my head's spinning right now listening <laughs> just to what you said, because it's really complicated and it's really complex. But I think when you when you boil it down, part of what we part of what we understand is going on here is that that the law says and kind of the goal is supposed to be that we're creating an individualized education plan for kids. But, what you've described is is a very institutional process and a very systematic process. and And so it's a little bit counterintuitive that we're we're talking about we're trying to treat we're trying to treat kids as individuals and and we're trying to find out their unique learning differences and 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 design a an educational process around it. But we're trying really to use tools and processes and a way of approaching them that is, That's kind of rote and and standardized and and really kind of impersonal, Um, and so that kind of brings us back full circle to parents because because the parents kind of become the X factor in this, right? That, mm-hmm. that of all the people that are kind of concerned around this process, everybody else has a really defined role and has a really defined set of things that they do, whether that be observing or testing or interpreting tests or whatever. But the group of people that really don't usually understand their role in it very well are mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And so kind of from a, almost from like a legal practical perspective, what is the role that parents play in the process of screening and testing and then, then making an, uh, making an education plan
2: for their kids? Yeah. Well, the parent is your biggest advocate, your child's, you you as a parent are your child's biggest advocate. So, um, you know, as a parent, you're, you, uh, it's, it's part of your responsibility, I guess, in that process is to be on top of those things. Hey, is this happening? Uh, do, uh, there's a certain amount of time in which that process has to um, take place. And sometimes, you know, schools get busy, There's their, their caseloads are big. And so we have, as a parent, we've got to advocate for that. We've got to make sure those things are are going on, we've got to even keep our own data, you know, so, and being able to use that information that we have from home plays a huge part in those meetings and those times together in, in that testing process, but also just understanding the process too. Uh, is going to help you as a parent to be able to, um, you know, sit in those meetings and uh, ask for the right type of services and different things like that. But you as a parent are your child's biggest advocate. So you know your child better than anybody else. And so you being a part of that process and and not being afraid to be a part of it, not being afraid to ask the questions Um Sometimes I think we think, oh, the professionals, they got it, they know what they're doing. And I just, and I don't, I'm not smart enough, or I don't know enough information. That's, you know, no, don't listen to that. I mean, that, that's just evil speaking into you that. So you just go and not be afraid to ask the questions and, um, and be curious. Uh, And that's advocating. That's a huge part of advocating for your child in this whole process.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things, cause it is pretty intimidating if you don't, if you like, if you really don't understand all this. And so when, when, when folks start, um, you know, teachers and psychologists and people start, you know, naming and tests and they start talking about laws and they start talking about benchmarks and all these kind of things. I mean, you can very quickly get lost in the details and, and just believe that there's no other course and that there's no other way of going other than what you're being told, you know, for your child. And, and some of that is because we just really don't understand it's alphabet soup and a lot of numbers and a lot of things sometimes that, you know, but, mm-hmm. but I'll, you know, I'm just going to say, and I, and I don't want to be controversial and there'll probably be, we'll probably get a few cards and letters about this, but you know, the, the truth is like the system is designed to be confusing. Um, because at the end of the day, the objective is to serve as many people, um, as cheaply as possible. And so this is, this is all kind of built on an economic system that is about, you know, allocation of federal education dollars and the way those things are spent and, and about, you know, bringing equity across a large system of education. And, 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 but like what we recognize as parents is our concern is not that system, our concern is our kids. And, and so the thing is like not to be afraid to ask questions about what you don't understand, not to be afraid to challenge and say, "Why is that true?" and mm-hmm. and can you explain to me? And can you show me in the regulations, or can you show me in the law where this is appropriate, um, mm-hmm. or is that the only thing that's appropriate? And 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 really, kind of you know, beginning to go that extra mile because because I think there are times where. Um, that that the school kind of throws its hands up and says we only have we only have a limited you know amount of tools in order to be able to to address these problems. Um, and that's true, but the law says that they have to address the problems whether they have the tools or not
2: right and yeah. and
1: so, and a lot of that is housed up in a couple of things, you know, generally there are a couple of plans that are, that are really kind of key to the services that our kids actually get and, and like how the school actually approaches them. And, and so one of those is it's commonly called an IEP, which is an individualized education plan. And then the other one is, is a 504 plan, which actually refers to the federal code section. It's section 504 that, um, of the, I think that's American Americans with Disabilities Act, right? Yeah. Rehabilitation
2: um, Act. Mm -hmm.
1: Rehabilitation Act. That's right. So, so, so those are two different kinds of things. Could you just quickly kind of orient our listeners to what is an IEP and what is a 504 plan? Sure.
2: Yeah. Like you said, um, yeah. Uh, the Individuals with Disability Act is the i is the federal special ed law special ed law for children with disabilities. Um, the five hundred four is the Rehabilitation Act, and it's a federal civil law, and it is meant to stop discrimination against people with disabilities. And so there there are you know who is eligible for each of those is different. Um, an IEP is meant uh, for a child who has one or more of the 13 different disabilities listed in the IDEA, uh, which includes like uh, a physical disability, autism, it's going to include uh, other specific learning disabilities. I would say this is one area, and this is, could be a whole nother conversation, but I will say a lot, of, uh, a lot of folks say, hey, my child has been diagnosed with dyslexia, so therefore he should have an IEP. Uh, Well, according to the system or the law, that's not necessarily true. And so um, because that dyslexia is not listed as one of the disabilities on the IDEA or on the Individuals Disabilities Act. And so um, it does have 13 different categories and specific learning disabilities is one of those. And sometimes dyslexia does fall under that category. But that's going to be very specific and again again your mind your brain begins to whirl at that but and i know that wasn't brief but uh, <laughs> so uh so i apologize but the so the disability basically um if a child's is if their academic performance and their ability to learn in the general education curriculum uh is affected then they will receive an IEP. So that's gonna be different instructions, specific instructions to, that a child needs to be able to feel successful in, the, in a classroom. Now, the, I, the 504 is a little bit broader definition. Okay, so that's your children, uh, a lot of times you'll see children 504 plans that have the diagnosis of the ADHD and, um, and sometimes even in, even dyslexia, but, Uh, It's going to be individual again. And this particular plan is developed to ensure that a child who has a particular disability receives the accommodations that will ensure that academic success. Um, And so the difference there, and I like to say it this way, the difference is between accommodations and modifications accommodations is going to be what you find on a 504 modifications to a curriculum and to the way a child is taught is going to be on your IEP.
1: Yeah. So, so just to kind of boil that down for our, for our (laughs) listeners. So that would be, um, so a 504 plan would be that my child is able to use assistive technology. So they're able to type their assignments instead of write them because their fine motor skills are affected. Right. But on the other side with an IEP, it would be that, that my child is given more time in their testing or they're, they're able to test orally because there's a processing difference that causes them not to be able to communicate well in, in written form. And so there's a sense, and, and it changes, it sometimes even changes the expectations of the outcome that we're modifying the curriculum so that the curriculum fits um, you know, kind of their, their cognitive ability or fits the, the parameters of their, of their disability. Um, and, and so there are various ways that that kind of can, can make itself known. So Herbie, I know, you know, I know that, that part of the choice that, you know, even that you and Ashley made in homeschooling your kids was really about um, an individualized education plan, right? Like it was to say, from the very beginning, we just kind of want to treat our kids as individuals, and and so part of the experience that you guys have is is walking through and identifying some things where um, where there were some challenges or, or identifying some places where there were there were hard things that weren't necessarily you know, learning differences as much as they were, they were just challenging individual things for your kids. And, and your relationship with, um, with Ann Mara is really kind of seeking out help to that talk, man, I'd, I'd love for you just to kind of just talk about like, what was the experience like of, of working with someone who was, paying that kind of close attention to your kids and really focusing on on their needs and their progress and their achievement.
0: Yeah, well, I think even to start off with, you know, one of the reasons that we wanted to homeschool is obviously we wanted to be able to have some hands-on opportunities with our kids, mm-hmm. not just in daily life, but also in their educational endeavors. You know, we were led initially even into homeschooling. I think it would maybe even be a short-term endeavor really to engage our oldest Caleb with some leadership skills that, you know, even at five, we said, man, we'd love to equip him to be a better leader, to help him. We were thinking when they go into a public school setting where he can lead, uh, and he can lead with a faith and a foundation of a faith and a moral fabric. Um, but we also love the opportunity to be hands-on with our kids. One of the things, even as homeschool parents, you start to realize uh, very quickly is, when the learning styles of your kids are all very different. And even as well as you know your children, and the thing is you know your children better than anyone else does, to think that just your knowledge alone of your children is going to help them and is going to be what they need is, is really a farce. So then you take that into a, a, a more traditional style setting your teachers, your educators, they have they have big old classrooms and it for them to get to know each and every individual student's needs intimately and then to be able to meet those needs are just going to be very very difficult. And that's why I think that some intervention where you know there's a problem and sometimes you even know what the problem is, but then to have somebody who's hearing you say, here's what's happening. And then they're able to go, oh, here's some interventions that we could use. And the truth of the matter is we've needed these for all three of our kids. And not because even uh, any of our kids are don't have high IQs or intelligent quotients, but because they had learning differences and they had ways that were prohibiting them to be able to, to think. One of our child children had some processing issues at an early age. And for this child, it was really just... And Mara was able to help us and help this child be able to, to process things at a much quicker speed. And at this point, this child excels in school to the point where you would actually have no idea that, that they ever struggled with any type of, um, of, of processing, you know, another had some, some more serious intervention that was needed and, and, what's great is this child was a little bit slower at reading. And now this child is reading on their, on their own level. My wife is fantastic. Uh, My wife, I, I mean, I'm, I'll brag on her. She, she works harder than just about anybody. I know when it comes at making sure that she's diligent in our kids learning, she reads, she studies, but still she needed intervention to help her, with especially these two, and even our third, to be able to think through ways to help them succeed. So again, you take that from our standpoint and how fantastic Ann Mara and even those that she's encouraged us to go see have been to our children. Take that in our children that are in a a large group setting. Kids aren't really getting interaction with their teachers for them to be able to identify all the places that they're struggling. And then, those teachers sometimes aren't always equipped to be able to help them when they're struggling. It's, it's, it's essential that as parents, first we take an active, engaged role with our kids in their learning, no matter if they're at public school, private school, private Christian school, or if that we're homeschooling them, or we're doing some co-op hybrid model. Parents need to be involved so that we can identify some of those challenges, but then we need to make sure all of our children are really getting the independent help that they need. And I would be an advocate saying, all of our kids need some type of help to help them become uh, better students and better learners and to really even hone in on what they do. And the great thing, and I, I'm kind of answering the question, but I'm going to ask you anyway, Amara, is it really empowers a parent in all of these school settings to really help their kids. And, and I think with Bridge, that's one of the hearts with Bridge is to empower parents to be able to help their kids what are some of the ways that we're helping empower parents that you see through Bridge and Mara?
2: Yeah, I think it's uh, it, it is equipping the parents and empowering the parents with the knowledge of the learning process. Uh, and like you said, every one of us. Um, uh has learns differently you know and so just kind of understanding how the brain works you know how do we learn to think about things um and and yes that comes easier for some kids uh and 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 some adults and so and then and then others of us have had to struggle and work through that and had to learn that process so yeah the biggest part is just I think bridge uh, has given a, a kind of a gateway to kind of just understanding even the science of the brain, which I think is fascinating, but it's also just equips teachers and parents. Um, I think we've had the opportunity to do that, which is really exciting.
1: Yeah, sometimes we talk about, we use a tagline when we talk about bridge and, and we, we talk about this idea that we have a 21st century understanding of the brain. But some of our our ways of approaching things haven't really changed. And so we have a 19th and 20th century, you know, set of techniques, but we know so much more about how we're wired and how we're, you know, fearfully and wonderfully made. And so, um, so really, you know, a lot of this looks like, um, playing brain games with kids, right? Like doing things that are actually fun and engaging and something parents can be involved in and something that, that we, you know, we can do and, and to, to actively stimulate kids to, to exercise their brains, um, just like we would encourage them to exercise their bodies, um, in order to, to grow in order to, you know, build, um, you know, we're not building muscles. We're building synaptic connections. We're building, you know, we're building things in the brain and building pathways. And, and so like with a typical session with bridge and and a typical tutoring session with bridge, what is that kind of, what's the feel of that?
2: Yeah. Well, I think the the foundation of any, any tutoring session that the tutors, you know, bridge tutors have with their, with their kids and with their families is the relationship. I mean, uh, bottom line is we get to build relationships and that's what attachment is. Um, You know, we think about the kids we're working with. It's building that, that foundational piece of relationship. And within that relationship, then we have the idea of play. And, and we know that play is building the brain and um, and we were able to, you know, neurons that wire together, fire together. Right. And so we're able to uh, to do that through the relationship, through play, through movement. So a, a typical session may is not only just with the kid. We we encourage families to sit in on the sessions. We encourage the parents to be a part of those sessions when they can be. So that they, too, are being equipped with some motor skills that we know build, uh, build those pathways. And then also in uh, those cognitive skills, you know, get back to those cognitive skills, but, but building those pathways. And then uh, we, we may dive into, um, you know, how, how to calm ourselves by ourselves. You know, what does self-regulation look like? you know, and we talk about that. What does self-regulation look like when, when you've just failed a spelling test? Um, and so what, what your triggers are and we're able to have those conversations and then we played we played brain games. We play games that are have been proven to strengthen visual processing, uh, and, and auditory processing, and um, and uh, we've and, and processing speed and different things like that. So it's a really it's a fun time. We have we have a great time. Um, working memory is uh, is something that uh, where you know you've got the knowledge up in your head, but you got to use that knowledge. And so that's what working memory is. So we we draw on that and use things, uh, use different techniques and tools and games to be able to, to help to build that working memory. So, um, but yeah, I, I would definitely say the key to all of it is building those relationships and helping to cultivate those relationships.
1: You know, and I think that's where we really kind of bought into the, the connection of all this and, and how this could be really helpful for families that are, you know, that are connected to Lifeline because, because so much of the, of the frustration, and I've talked before on the podcast about, you know, some of our frustrations with the education system and, and those things. And, and, but, but here's the thing, like it's a system built on serving as many people as we possibly can as efficiently as we possibly can. And, and for the same reasons that we you know, sometimes say, and, and I hope this isn't a bad equivocation, but the same reason we say institutions are not good at parenting kids, right? Like we don't want kids to grow up in institutions because, because they don't do what families do and they don't give the, the care and the attention that families do. That's, that's the same reason that we don't want to leave education just to institutions. But I think the way the system is put together it, it kind of has the feel of, hey, we're the professionals, just trust us. Um, when truly, if you, if you talk to most educators, what they will tell you that they really want is they want involved moms and dads. They want moms and dads that are, that are working with their kids and that are part of the, you know, part of the learning equation and, and parents that are, you know, that are well involved. But I think the way we have built our education system more and more seems like it's, it's kind of encouraging parents not to do that. In in the in in kind of the way that it's structured, and and so bridge, I think really as much as it's a bridge to anything else in what we do in, in bridge educational services, it's that way back for parents to really learn um, how to be an effective, efficient part of you know of their child's learning, and and so. Um, you know, I love the fact that we, we get to, we get to help families connect at a deeper way and we get to help them as they're learning to play together. And as they're building attachment through play, they're also like building the brain through play. Um, so, and Mara, we, um, you know, really kind of have a few services that, that we sort of center on with bridge that are, that are ways that we've lined out to help families. And so can you kind of talk about just the services that are available for bridge? um, And then maybe just a little bit about ways families can, can get connected, how they can how they can find you and, and the rest of our bridge team in order to take the next step.
2: Yeah, so um, so a couple different ways. One is uh, we do help um, help uh, families to mediate through their educational journey uh, with the with the different school systems. So if you do have questions or are curious and trying to figure out, you know, that IEP or that process, those five hundred fours, then we'll definitely walk with you through that and kind of guide you and help you to look to a- uh, ask those questions. And so. So the IEP journey or the 504 journey or just the educational journey um, in, the, in the public school system. Um, and then also we, we help, uh, we have tutors. We have a team, we have a great set of tutors, uh, bridge tutors that will meet with families. So I, I like to say we were doing Zoom before Zoom became popular. Um, <laughs> and we uh, do those, uh, you know, over through Zoom, we can meet. Um, the, our tutors meet with uh, individual kids uh, one-on-one where we play those brain games and we equip them with those those cognitive skills uh tools to help build that that core and uh so that's through that Uh, we also offer an informal screening um so those screenings are going to uh, look at your motor development your social emotional development and also your cognitive development we'll write up a report we meet with the parent we walk through the report with uh the parents to kind of help them see what is going on underneath that the the surface underneath, di- diving deep into that cognitive core to see if there is um, an underlining issue. Uh, we're not going to diagnose. We can't diagnose. Uh, but but it is a tool to help us to develop a plan to meet help meet parents meet that need. Um, and then we, we also walk with, uh, homeschool families, uh, to help design those plans so that they, uh, they can, um, you know, know a direct, have a direction, uh, to go with their, their children with the curriculum, but also with, with, uh, the cognitive fitness or the brain games that we've talked about. And so those are a few of, uh, the different programs you can, you can reach us at, um, lifelinechild.org backslash bridge educational, where there is a form you can fill out uh, and um, somebody would get back in touch with you uh, to help just do a little bit of intake and ask a few questions. Yeah, that's,
1: that's, that's an awesome, um, it's an, it's an awesome thing that we get to do to, to be able to come alongside families and, and to, you know, provide these kind of helps. And I, and I think one of the things that, um, you know, our team really wants to go the extra mile for families in this, and so um, in in addition to providing those services, like we're here um, to 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 talk and to consult and to help. And and Mara's been known to attend IEP meetings at times, or you know, folks on her team have been a part of um, you know, kind of speaking into those plans and really helping. Uh, parents that are, you know, that are a little bit confused about where to go and and how to proceed, because it can be confusing. State laws are different in different places, and and, and school systems operate differently in the way that they, you know, they attempt to comply to the law, and so, um, you know, so that's a, Um, you know, that's a, that's a significant piece. I think, you know, Herbie, for us, one of the, one of the other things that was really important to us along the way is to provide these services in a way that they're not just accessible to families, but they're affordable. And, and that, you know, we've really, um, we've really tried over time to, to, to provide tutoring and, and provide these things um, in a way that, um, that families who are, you know, many times stretched in a lot of ways, including financially and providing all the help that their kids need, that finances really aren't um, you know, aren't a barrier to, you know, to families as well. And 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 so I know that's part of our commitment at Lifeline to to be there for families and to provide, you know, these post adoption and and enduring foster care placement services in a way that we um, you know, in, in a way that families are not precluded from being able to get that, and that we, you know, even have um, generous donors that help us to be able to help families to, to get these services. And, and so, um, you know, I think part of what we would we would want to say to our community out there is, is this is a, this is a community effort in order for us to be able to provide these services and and to to get this kind of help to families and there's there's a way that that you can be involved um even in helping other families through uh you know through your gifts to lifeline and and through your support of the the ministry of bridge yeah
0: 100% and certainly that's what we wanted to be able to do is to offer these services to make it affordable for families so that as many people as possible can get these spots. So even as even as we close though, uh, friends, how can folks get connected with Bridge and start these services today?
2: Yeah, I would say, um, I mean, my email is ann, A-N-N-M-A-U-R-A dot Hinton, H-I-N-T-O-N at lifelinechild.org. And feel free to to email me and I will get you connected to um, uh, the right folks. Or you can go to lifelinechild.org backslash bridge educational and fill out a uh, form there and somebody will get in contact with you. And uh, uh, that's what we do. I, I look forward. I love my job. I love waking up to see if I have any HubSpot emails uh, to be able to return and talk to folks, and so, um, so yeah, please please reach out, and we'd be happy to talk to you.
0: Dr. Rick, I know we're grateful, like we said, for Bridge, and we hope that this has been a help for those parents as they prepare to get back to school, and so as you're getting back into school or as school's getting back into swing, know even with or without quarantining, with or without Uh, school in mask or out of mask, you're going to need bridge educational services to help you in your endeavors of making sure that your children can continue to learn, can continue to grow in that knowledge, and you can continue to raise
2: them in the love and the admonition of the Lord.